Walter Sports Bar is excited to welcome Nationals fans back to the ballpark this spring. Located directly across the street from Nationals Park, Walters is the preeminent sports bar in Navy Yard, boasting over 35 televisions, both indoors and out. Walters is a great location to catch the Nats all season long. Walters encourages all fans to check out coronavirus.dc.gov to get up-to-date information on current dining restrictions. Go Nats! Al, there were 4,800 fans inside the ballpark on opening day, and there were more outside the ballpark, and there's no better place to celebrate an opening day win than Walters. We're happy to have them as a sponsor. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Nationals fans, welcome back. And welcome home. Let's play ball. Smith, the lefty sets. Runners lead first and second to pitch. Swing and a line drive into center field. A base hit. Robles to third. It gets by. Punch into the wall. Robles coming in to score. And an opening day. Curly W is in the books. And welcome to Nats Chat for Wednesday, April 7th, 2021, along with Nats Insider, Mark Zuckerman of BassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. It took a while, but we can finally say the Nationals 2021 regular season has begun, and it has begun with a glorious win, 6-5 walk-off win over the Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park on Tuesday. The first game since 2019 for the Nats at Nats Park with fans at the game. The fans are rewarded with a walk-off win over the three-time defending National League East champion Braves. It is a walk-off hit by the franchise player Juan Soto. Mark, if you could have scripted this, I'm not sure you could have scripted this much better. That was a perfect ball game, Al. If you're the Washington Nationals or a Washington Nationals fan, that was the perfect game. Yeah, you hope that Scherzer wouldn't have given up the four solo homers early, giving everyone a few little heart attacks there, but he righted his ship. He was great after that. They got, you know, some clutch hits early on to, to sort of stem the tide and keep the game close. And then they had the guy that you want at the plate with everything on the line and a crowd in attendance roaring for him and anticipating it. And was there any doubt that he was going to deliver? Of course he was going to come through in that spot. And it really made for a glorious moment for everyone. Having been here in the park, and I know we're going to talk about this, it just felt right. Everything about it felt right compared to everything in 2020 that felt wrong. This one felt right. It felt like 2019 again. It was an awesome performance. It's the kind of performance where you're like, boy, the Nats had no business winning that game, and yet they end up winning 
that game. This is the first of our post-game pods. Nats Chat is all about being with you after every Nationals game in the 2021 season. So the morning after every Nats game, expect a new, fresh installment of this podcast, the Nats Chat Podcast. We want to hear from you. We want your reactions to every Nats game, your thoughts on what's happening with the Nats. You can tweet us at Nats underscore chat. You can email us Nats Chat Podcast at gmail.com. And if you would like to become a sponsor of the Nats Chat Podcast, email the man behind all of this, Tim Shovers. Again, the address, Nats Chat Podcast at gmail.com. So there are so many layers to this walk-off win to begin the Nats season over the Braves. I guess we can start with this. There were fans at Nationals Park, 4,800 plus, and they were audible. You certainly noticed them. And Mark, reading what you wrote for MassInSports.com, reading what you tweeted, it sounds like the crowd actually made a difference in this game, that the Nats players kind of fed off the energy from the crowd. They absolutely did. And look, I'm not going to try to say that 4,800 fans or paid attendance, 4,800. It was actually closer to 5,000 here in attendance. Remember, there's some comps and family members and things like that. I'm not going to try to claim that 5,000 sounded like 40,000. Of course it didn't. And it's going to be a while till we have that experience again. But boy, did it sound a lot better than zero. And boy, were they into it at the right moments. There, there was a lot of pent up excitement from this fan base that hadn't had the ability to do this in a while. You know, and it's funny, the, the pregame stuff was all nice and they cheered for everyone, for Ryan Zimmerman when he was introduced and Soto and, you know, the raising, the re-raising of the World Series flag and all that. And that was all great. But it really wasn't until a few innings into the game. It was probably started with Jonathan Lucroy's double <laughs> of all the people to drive in the first runs of the year. And then on Trey Turner's homer. And now you had the first truly spontaneous reactions of the crowd and, and and legitimate roar of a crowd that they just haven't experienced in so long. And it just kept growing from that point. And especially in the eighth and the ninth innings, everybody here was on their feet. As the Soto at bat played out, they were totally into it. They rejoiced at it. And it does make a difference. The players all admit this. And, and here's the evidence of it. You know, we want to overreact to one game, but I think this in this case, it's worthwhile. The defining characteristic of the 2019 Nationals was their ability to come from behind late in the game, all season long and especially in the postseason. The 2020 Nationals never did it, not once. They went 0-24 when trailing after seven innings. Not once did they come from behind to win a game. And, you know, you can say, hey, it's an excuse, but I think there's something to it. When there's no fans in the crowd and there's no energy and just nothing to give you that little boost, it, it's hard to get yourself up for those kind of spots. And so today, for the first time, they get a chance to play in front of fans. What do they do? They rally, they load the bases in the eighth, and they score the tying run. Then they get two on the ninth and score the winning run on a walk-off. The crowd goes nuts, and you heard it from Davey, you heard it from Trey Turner. They acknowledged it was a huge difference between last year and this year. Fans in the stands make a difference. If you ever weren't sure about that, whether it does make a difference, yes, it does make a difference. They helped them win that game. It was great seeing it. The official attendance, 4,801. There remains a controversy of why can't the Nats have more? We know they want more. Max Scherzer was very vocal about this after the win. I don't understand why there wasn't fans in the upper deck. I don't, I don't understand why we can't have more fans here. Somebody, somebody's got to explain that to me because that doesn't make sense to me whatsoever. So I understand that we need to be safe. I respect the virus. But we can also have fans in the top part of the deck. We can have more fans in here safely. So I, I would love an explanation. Max, I am right there with you. There should be more fans. Uh, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser on Monday in a press conference saying she's not any closer to allowing the Nats to have more than the 5,000 fans per game 
at Nationals Park. But, you know, I, I guess, you know, that's a debate we can do another time. But at, at least there are fans. Like, and so it's great to at least have, you know, 4,800, 5,000 fans in the ballpark like that. And, you know, it did feel more normal to see that. Now, you mentioned Jonathan Lucroy. And of all of the things about this game, so of course, the national start to the season is delayed by the COVID-19 mess. It was confusing over these last few days. Who would be in? Who would be out? Who tested positive? Who was quarantining? Uh, who might be back sooner than somebody else who is also quarantining? Anyway, bottom line, the Nats ultimately play this game on Tuesday without four starting position players and without their top reliever in Brad Hand. A Nationals lineup that included Jonathan Lucroy as the starting catcher, Hernan Perez as the starting second baseman, Andrew Stevenson as the starting left fielder. This is not supposed to be a murderer's row. And yet all of those guys, Mark, in their various ways, contributed offensively, came through in big spots offensively for the Nats on Tuesday. I have said one of my biggest concerns about the Nats this season is the depth. And I just feel like the Nats aren't a very deep team. For at least one day, man, they looked every bit as deep as you need to be. Those guys came through. I give them a ton of credit for the jobs they did. Okay, here's the stat for you, and I'm just calculating it, looking at my scorebook. Hernan Perez, Andrew Stevenson, Jonathan Lucroy, and Carter Keboom, who wound up being the top right-handed bat off the bench. After all that, <laughs> he was their best option as a right-handed hitter off the bench. They combined to reach base seven times in 13 plate appearances. Does that work? And to their credit, they just delivered. Andrew Stevenson, we don't talk about the guy enough, but this guy's a solid ball player. I know a lot of people felt like he deserved to, to even be the starting left fielder and that they didn't need to go get Kyle Schwarber. And, you know, we'll see how that all plays out. But they had to put him in there against all lefties today. That would not have normally been his spot to even consider giving him a spot start. And he took four plate appearances against lefties and had four quality at bats. He reached base three times. One was an error that really shouldn't have been an error. It was a, a smoked ball to second base, one up scoring. Line out to center field, well hit. Single in the seventh, and then the RBI game-tying infield single in the eighth off the third baseman's glove. I mean, to have the ability just to, to step right in and do that against tough left-handed pitching, that, that goes so far. And, you know, if and when they get to a point that they have to decide if, if Andrew Stevenson deserves more playing time, Every time they put him out there for the last several years, and I know it's not a huge sample, but every time they put him out there, he has consistently delivered for them. That's a real find for them. So the big thing with Stevenson that stands out is his batting averages on balls in play have been sky high. 579 in 2019, 464 in 2020. A lot of times that's indicative of a lot of good luck. But Stevenson can run. Stevenson's a guy, and we certainly saw this on Tuesday, he puts the ball in play. So not every guy with a high BABIP is just benefiting from good luck. Like he may just be one of those guys who is going to have high batting averages on balls in play and make things happen. And to your point, I mean, this is a guy who over 84 plate appearances the last two years coming into this year, a 620 slugging percentage. Like he has produced when given the opportunity, obviously came through big time on Tuesday. You know, talking about some of these other guys too, like I, I think the specifics of some of their plate appearances were so impressive. Like Hernan Perez drawing that one out five pitch walk to load the bases in the one run eighth. You mentioned the Lucroy two run double. That comes with two outs on an 0-2 pitch in the bottom of the second inning. Now he gets thrown out a third. That was bad. But like on an 0-2 pitch, Jonathan Lucroy, who just got signed by the Nats on what, Saturday night? You know, he's in his mid-30s. He's been like not a good hitter at all over the last few years. This guy's lining a two-out, two-run double on an 0-2 pitch down the left field line. And then freaking Keyboom. I mean, the guy who just got demoted, what, a week, two weeks ago, whatever it was, 
He draws a pinch two-out walk in the bottom of the seventh. It's an eight-pitch walk. He's down in the count at one point, one-two, and he still draws that walk. Like, these guys did such a great job. I just, I cannot say enough about them. And of course, another hero for the Nats ends up being the leadoff man. And Mark, you know, we talked throughout spring training. What should we believe? What's fake? What's real? Well, one game into his uh, stint here as the new uh, number one batter in the Nationals lineup, Victor Robles, a single and two walks, doing his job, getting on base as a leadoff man should. And scored twice. Those were all good quality at bats. And, and the single came on the first pitch and, and to start the rally in the ninth. And it's a reminder that just because you're hitting leadoff doesn't mean you have to work the count. And this is what they don't want him to lose his aggressiveness. They just want him to swing at pitches in the strike zone. If you get a good first pitch to hit, go ahead and hit it. But if you don't, then let that bat play out. Don't chase out of the zone. And, and he really showed that perfectly today. And the other one that was so important, his first walk in the third, it's a one out, nobody on walk. Well, that sets up Trey Turner's homer. And this is the whole idea behind moving Turner out of the leadoff spot. Try to get the production from him with guys on base so that he's not hitting solo homers or he's not hitting doubles just to start a rally, but he can actually drive in runners in front of him and maybe even himself. And so that's a big part of it. So, I mean, they really up and down the lineup just had good quality at bats and production. You could almost argue that their least productive guy for most of the day was Soto. In his first three at-bats, he did not look good. He looked like the spring training Juan Soto. Struck out, hit a little tapper in front of the, the plate. Like I said, I thought his, his fourth at-bat in the eighth inning was good. Hard line drive to deep center field, and that set up the, the game winner. But if we had said going into this that they were going to score six runs and win the game, and in a lot of ways because of the bottom half of the lineup and not because of the top half of the lineup, you, you would have thought it was crazy. No chance, right? doesn't make a lot of sense. The Trey Turner performance, of course, also includes the home run, which is great. The two-run shot to left off Drew Smiley. The Soto walk-off coming on a 3-0 pitch. You love seeing that. And, you know, we talked about Soto right during the exhibition season. Didn't have a very good exhibition season. I don't think anybody was, like, worried about him. But, you know, maybe it does mean he gets off to slow start. Like you said, it looked for a while like he wasn't having a very good game. But, of course, in the biggest spot, he comes through. Your top three batters luckily are up in that bottom of the ninth and they all come through. Turner gets hit by a pitch. If I told you somebody's going to hit by a pitch, you would have almost certainly said Robles, but no, <laughs> Trey's the guy who gets hit by the pitch. I also wanted to mention this. So Ryan Zimmerman is a cleanup batter, has a couple of singles, but that backhanded catch of the one hop throw by Hernan Perez on the Ronald Acuna Jr. RBI ground out in the top of the seventh. Barehand play and a throw to first. Zimmerman able to scoop it up and hold on for the out. Off a nice play by Perez. They get the out at first. You know, I, I know it's been said, right, like this season, once Josh Bell is available, he's going to be your primary first baseman, but Zim will play against lefties and Zim will be a late inning defensive replacement. That was a terrific pick by Zim at first base, I thought. Huge play, huge moment in the game because that all of a sudden could have turned from a, the run scored on the play, but it was 5-4, easily could be 6-4 and who knows what happens after that. And I'm sorry, but that's probably not a play that Josh Bell makes. And it was with that in mind that the one move I didn't love in this game was pinch running for Zim with uh, Luis Garcia in the eighth once Zim got to second base. And I get it. Obviously, you have a chance to tie the game. You want your fastest runner. The question to me was, what was more likely to happen there? Where you need a fast runner, where Zim, if he's out there, might get thrown out of the plate on a close play, or the chance that after that, at some point, there's a tough play at first base. And at that point, there's no other natural first baseman on the roster at the moment. So it was going to be Hernan Perez, who, you know, I know he's played it, but that's certainly not his natural position. They're a little bit lucky that that didn't come back to haunt them, that there wasn't a big moment in the ninth inning or if the game went to extras 
where uh, having a, a, a non-first baseman at first base costs them because Zim makes all the difference over there. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Are you interested in buying or selling your home? Support for Nats Chat comes from Rachel Levy of Compass Real Estate. By focusing on the personal parts of the real estate process and using technology to simplify the rest, Rachel seamlessly guides her clients through their experiences. Rachel uses her deep local knowledge and exceptional customer service to advocate for her clients all across D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. To learn more, follow Rachel on Instagram at Real Estate Rachel. A lifelong resident of the area, a former Terp, and a Nats fan from the beginning. Rachel and her husband are proud to be sponsors with us, and we are proud to have them sponsoring this podcast. Tim Shovers here, producer for Nats Chat. Also, as Alex referred to me as the mastermind, his words, not mine, here to tell you about FanDuel. We've all had that dream. Tie game, bottom of the ninth, base is loaded. Well, on FanDuel Sportsbook, you get more than one shot to swing for the fences. Because FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free. That's right. New users get up to $1,000 back in site credit if your first bet doesn't win. I just signed up recently. Now, let me tell you, there are a dizzying amount of bets that are on FanDuel. Everything you could possibly think of. MLB, NHL, NBA, even golf. It's all there on FanDuel. It only gets better from there. Once you have an account, you'll have access to the same game parlay insurance all season long. That's up to $25 back in site credit each day if your same-game parlay bet falls one leg short. This way, you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win. There is a reason FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. 
The app is simple to use. They've got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same-game parlay, and always on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Just dial the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT to get in on the action. That's FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code CHAT. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as non-withdrawal site credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-9-WITH-IT Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER. New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia. Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789, or visit www.1800gambler.net. Swing and a miss. He got him on a slider, and Max has now retired 10 in a row, and he's got strikeout number nine. So when it came to Max Scherzer, okay, it was an odd game, right? Because, I mean, he gives up, obviously, the two solo shots in the top of the first. Gives up another one in the top of the second. Gives up another one in the top of the third. Four home runs given up by Max Scherzer. Two to Ronald Acuna Jr. Another one to the notorious Nationals killer, Freddie Freeman, who wakes up in his three of five against the Nats, it feels like. And then Dansby Swanson has one. But Max overall, am I wrong in saying he actually ended up pitching pretty well? I mean, four runs in six innings is nothing to write home about. But nine strikeouts versus no walks. Beyond the four homers, he only gave up one other hit, which was a single. He threw 60 of his 91 pitches for strikes. What's the right way to sort of categorize this season opening performance by Max Scherzer? Because your kids sit here and say it was great. He gave up the four homers, but beyond the four homers, which I know you can't just excuse, he actually, I thought, looked really good. So you use the word, you know, unusual or, or odd, you know, start for him. I would actually say this is kind of becoming a little bit normal for Max Scherzer. This isn't the first time we've seen it. In fact, it's the third consecutive opening day that he's given up at least one home run in the first inning. And, you know, we certainly saw it in the playoffs as well that he did that. He does have this tendency early in a game to give up long balls. And I think sometimes he's a little amped up. I think he maybe relies on trying to establish a fastball early on a little more than, you know, you'd want to. Other teams sort of know what might be coming. I mean, Acuna was waiting. First pitch of the season, and it was hammered. And it was a, a fastball right down the pipe. And maybe you'd say, hey, you know, that's what you're supposed to do is throw, throw a first pitch strike to get ahead in the count. But a guy like Acuna, you got to be ready and know that, that he might do it. So, I mean, this is becoming a little bit normal for Max, but the other flip side of that is the normal thing for him then is to shrug it off and pitch really well. And the fact that he doesn't get beat with singles and long sustained rallies, he gets beat on homers. And his attitude is, you know, not that he wants to give them up, but he kind of says, well, hey, you know what? Solo homers aren't ultimately going to kill you. Well, you know, didn't today, but they can. And, you know, they weren't putting other balls in play. I mean, he's striking guys out. The best part to me is he did settle in. And like I said, we've seen this from him before. Retired 12 of his last 13, struck out six. Didn't walk a batter the whole game. So, I mean, his, he was in the strike zone, maybe a little bit too much in some cases. But I thought it was an interesting call. We didn't really talk much about it afterwards because there's so much else going on. But Davey pulled him at 91 pitches after six innings. And, you know, with a short bullpen, maybe you thought you'd put him back out there for the seventh. They just called it quits right there. Probably the right move. We talked a lot last year about Scherzer after he got to the 100 pitch mark, things went south for him. And so you kind of preemptively made that move. I thought that was 
pretty smart of Davey to do that. But I feel like I would say he pitched well, but he's got to figure out a way to, to minimize those mistakes because they are going to cost you in the long run. Yeah. So Max had his worst home run rate in years in 2020. He averaged 1.3 home runs allowed per nine innings. That was his worst home run rate since 2011. So if it feels like he gave up more homers last year than normal or gave up more homers at a higher rate last season than normal, it's because he did. To your point, yeah, he has done that. And he is one of these guys who, yes, in first innings, he's had some problems. There's no question about that. But, you know, nine strikeouts versus no walks, he pounds his own. Like, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't look at things this way, but I'd rather a guy give up some solo shots then walk the ballpark, you know, then like do the the thing of like, you know, you, you issue five walks, like maybe you keep the the ball in the, in the yard. But like, if you can't throw strikes, I just feel like that can get you in so much trouble. I feel like with Max, yes, the home runs, you, you do want to figure those out. But I don't know, he just after the homers, and again, you can't just you can't just excuse him, I understand that. But after the homers, I did think he did a pretty good job with the pitch count. I think this is going to be a storyline throughout the year with guys having thrown so few innings last season. How long of a leash can you have with people? Like, how much can you push guys this year? Especially an older pitcher like Max, you know, if, and if I'm Davey and you're already minus Patrick Corbett and John Lester because of the COVID-19 protocols and, you know, you never know with Steven Strasburg, do you want to be taking chances with Max Scherzer, especially when he has had some injury issues over the last, say, you know, year, year and a half? Yeah, no, I think you're right. And I think, obviously, you're going to treat him differently on opening day than you are in June and July as he's starting to get into a rhythm. But one more stat. This one came from the great Jason Stark. It's talking about what you were mentioning before. So he gave up 30 runs last season, but 17 of them came on home runs. That's how he gets beat. He doesn't get beat any other way. It's the only way. So, yes, minimizing the walks, minimizing the, the long rallies, that, that helps because you're only giving up solo homers. The homers do still kill you. And it's just that one little thing I think he's got to figure out how to be a little more fine, especially early in a start when he's still feeling his way through it. Maybe it means more off-speed stuff. Maybe it's not establishing the fastball right away. If he can do that, I think there's still a chance for him to be really, really good. And I think he is very good right now. And the numbers are probably a little bit skewed because of the home run totals. You know who's been like this too in recent years actually is Justin Verlander. Justin Verlander in 2018 and 2019 had ERAs under three, and yet gave up a total of 64 home runs. That's become a Verlander thing where overall he's really good, but when he gives up runs, it's almost always via the home run. And you know, I, I know there was a thing over the offseason of they're altering the composition of the baseball right, and they were going to try to dejuice the baseball. Didn't look like it in this game. <laughs> no, not at all. So Max has the uh, the bizarre outing, although like Mark said, it's actually not as bizarre as we may think. With the Nats bullpen, so no Brad Hand, uh, Davey ends up using four Nationals relievers, Kyle Finnegan, Wander Suero, Kyle McGowan, and Daniel Hudson. They ultimately combine to allow one run in three innings. Finnegan in the top of the seventh gives up a run in recording just two outs. He kind of got nickel and dime to give up the run. It was a one-out single by Austin Riley on a one-two pitch, a, uh, a one-out first pitch bunt single by Christian Pache on a great bunt toward third base. Then came a one-out walk of uh, Pablo Sandoval, who uh, doesn't look like he's missed many meals over the last few years. And then uh, the RBI ground up there by Acuna with the great play by Ryan Zimmerman. But Suero, McGowan, and Hudson come in, get the job done. They actually combined, those three did, two into third scoreless and hitless innings. Now, Hudson, we had that scary moment where it looked like he gave up the home run, and it thankfully got ruled foul, which it was. So a little shaky, but the bullpen ultimately does get the job done. Yeah, they did. About that uh, home run that wasn't, uh, I don't know what it looked like on TV. In person, everybody here, including the hitter, 
didn't seem to think it, it had left the park. Everybody thought it was foul, except for Carlos Torres at third base. And it was interesting. And again, it didn't really play a factor in the end, but like the umpires all huddled up and they reversed the call without looking at replay. And then Brian Snitker asked about it and they went and reviewed it very quickly and, and then upheld the foul ball call. But I mean, that was pretty blatantly obvious that it was uh, a foul ball and Pache himself even like barely ran to first base. But you know what I loved about it? Hudson came right back the next pitch, threw him a slider he had no chance at. Now, the, to me, the bigger, the scarier thing with Hudson was, so you got the two outs, nobody on. You've got Camargo, the pinch hitter up, and Acuna's on deck. Two outs, you got a pinch hitter up, just get the guy out. And what did he do? He walked him. He walked the guy to bring Acuna to the plate with the game on the line in the ninth. Now, he, he got Acuna to, to fly out, I think, on the ground on the first pitch. But that was a little bit danger territory there for Hudson, for a guy who was burned uh, more than once last year. But they cobbled it together. I thought the Brad Hand loss was going to be big for them, especially against this team. At least for one day, they made it work with the guys they had. They did. I mean, I think there are real questions about Hudson. He had a really bad 2020. He had a really bad exhibition season. And I think he's one of those guys where I don't think you just write off the exhibition season. Like, I think you do have reason to be concerned. And it could have played out very differently on Tuesday, but it didn't. And the Nats end up coming through with the win. So some uh, some stuff kind of moving forward here with the Nats. They've got the doubleheader on Wednesday. Uh, it's going to be Eric Fetty, Game 1, Steven Strasburg, Game 2. Right, Davey said that after the game on Tuesday? Correct. And and it's a little bit interesting because I thought maybe you use Strasburg in the first game, hoping that he gives you, you know, six innings. Remember, these are seven-inning games for the doubleheaders again. So if Strasburg can give you six or even seven, now everybody's available to you in the nightcap. But to have Fetty go first, you know you're going to go to the bullpen. But by the same token, you say, okay, hey, Eric, go give us four solid innings, maybe five tops. We can cover the rest of it. And you know you've got Strasburg in the nightcap, so maybe that's the thinking as well. They have the opportunity to get through this, all right, knowing that Thursday's an off day. He can pretty much use whoever he wants in those games. But I can't stress the importance of winning this first game. It, it made everything so much easier. Now you go into the doubleheader and say, let's win one of these two. And you know you got Strasburg in the finale. So if you somehow win the first game, man, you're in great shape. Yeah. And I mean, it's super early to be looking at other teams' records, but the Braves got swept at Philadelphia to begin Atlanta's season. So, you know, you've got Atlanta kind of reeling and rocky a little bit, you know, albeit super early in this year. Now, also on Tuesday was the Nats finally announcing their season opening 26-man roster, right? They had not had to do that because their season had not started. We finally know who's not available because of the COVID-19 stuff, either due to positive tests or due to having been a close contact. Nine guys not on the season opening roster. The position players not on the roster. Josh Bell, Kyle Schwarber, Josh Harrison, Jan Gomes, Alex Avila, and Jordy Mercer. Two starting pitchers, Patrick Corbin and John Lester, and the reliever, Brad Hand. So that's nine guys. We thought it was going to be 10. We thought Trey Turner would not be available. He obviously was available, had the big home run on Tuesday. Do we know what happened with Trey? I mean, no, I'm not complaining about that, but it looked like he wasn't going to be available. And obviously he was on Tuesday. Yeah. So I asked him, you know, if he could share any details and he kind of smiled and was a little bit coy about it, but it was unclear. It was certainly unclear at some point whether he'd be available. He was not able to participate in the, uh, the workout on Monday. You know, my theory is remember, I've lost track of days here, but they had the number of guys who were in quarantine. And then all of a sudden, Mike Rizzo said there was one more as determined by the D.C. Department of Health, not by Major League Baseball. I don't know this for a fact, but I have to wonder if that was Trey and needed to then pass a few tests and convince everyone that he was OK. He did take some more 
the PCR saliva test, everything came back negative. And my sense is that they were maybe still waiting on Monday for those final results to come in. And that's why he wasn't on the field. And by the time they finally found out, it was it was too late for him to work out. But hey, everything turned out fine in the end. He homered, he played. He, ha- he made a couple of really nice plays in the field as well that maybe got overlooked. A good game for him. And he made a big difference being in there. And we talked about this in 2019. When he was out for those six weeks after breaking his hand right away in the first week of the season, that was maybe as big a loss as they had. To be without your starting shortstop for that long, it made a difference. And I don't think it was coincidence that when he returned, it almost coincided exactly with when the turnaround happened. Yeah, it absolutely did. And nobody's happy about any of these absences for the Nats, but it could be a lot worse. You got Soto, you got Turner, you got Scherzer, you got Strasburg, you got Robles. Like, so. We did not know going into Tuesday, we weren't really sure like, okay, who is definitely going to be with this ball club to begin the season and who isn't, even with uh, what you do have. It it is amazing, Mark. I mean, you look at the season opening roster, the two catchers are Lucroy and Tress Barrera. Garcia and Keyboom are among your infielders, right? Two guys who just got option to AAA Rochester. Your outfielders include Yadiel Hernandez and Cody Wilson. Your bullpen includes Sam Clay, Ryan Harper, and Kyle McGowan. Not how Mike Rizzo drew it up during the offseason. No, and I want to mention Cody Wilson here because I know a lot of people are saying, who? I'm going to tell you real quick the story on Cody Wilson. 24 years old, 2018 draft pick. Not a high pick either. Double-digit draft pick. He's never played above low A ball. And he was on the opening day roster wearing number 81 and getting an ovation from the crowd. How cool is that? This guy's got speed. That's the reason he's on the roster. I don't know that we're going to see a lot of him otherwise. But if they need a pinch runner, he could be the guy we see, especially if they have an extra inning game and you have that automatic runner on second base. He could be somebody they would want to use in those spots. I mean, talk about the most unlikely player to be on a, a, an opening day roster. The other point I want to make about everyone wants to know when are these nine players going to be back? And we don't know specifically or they're not telling us. But here's an important point to remember. They may not all come back at once. This could happen in staggered fashion. They each have their own clock. They each have their own protocols they have to pass to be cleared. So you have the four players who tested positive. The other ones are close contacts. And yeah, there are regulations based on MLB and based on DC about a certain number of days. But there are also other check marks that they can cross off if they show negative tests, if they you know, are deemed to have not been around other people for a certain amount of time. So it's entirely possible we may see some of these players back by this weekend in LA. I don't think they're going to be all the way down through that road trip going into it. I think you're going to start to see some players come back, you know, maybe as soon as the weekend. Could people be back for the doubleheader Wednesday or you don't think so? I don't think so. I mean, they're not going to tell us officially that. The timing would seem to be pretty tough to, you know, if you backdate that, you would have to have known that they would already testing positive or or were close contacts you know that's a week ago Wednesday at that point we only knew one player so I don't think it would happen as soon as Wednesday I'm not going to say no chance because they've been very secretive about all this and, and not really telling us but I, I think Friday in LA may be a possibility that would be great look this is a nine game gauntlet to begin this nat season three games at home against the Braves three games at the Dodgers three games at the Cardinals, given these COVID-19 absences, to me, if you come out of this, you know, four and five, five and four, I mean, I think you take that. You just want to keep your head above water, get your guys back, and then start piling up the wins. What a great job by the Nats to get this win on Tuesday. And did I read your tweet right? This was the first walk-off hit of Juan Soto's major league career? 
Yeah. Can you believe that? I, I almost didn't believe it when he said it. But if you think about it, I, thinking back, I, he's right, obviously. The most famous hit, of course, in the wildcard game was the bottom of the eighth. It felt like a walk-off, but it wasn't. It was the bottom of the eighth. And he said, when he was asked, the, he believes the last time he had a walk-off hit was at Hagerstown. That feels like a long time ago, but honestly, it was only three years ago that he was playing Hagerstown in low A ball. Is that right? Three years ago? <laughs> April of 2018. Oh my gosh, that <laughs> that's insane. That feels like 15 years ago. Yes, it does. A lot's happened since then, Al. But yeah. Juan Soto, three years ago at this time, was an unknown prospect at low single-A Hagerstown. That's incredible. Well, we are off and running with the 2021 national season. What a way to begin it. Hopefully, it's a sign of what is to come. We will be back with you on Thursday with everything you need to know about the Nationals' doubleheader to wrap up this season-opening three-game series with the Braves at Nationals Park. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat and email us NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Gap to left center in the outfield for Turner. Batting from the right side. He launches one to left field. This is way, way back there. Ozuna to the track, to the wall, and this game's tied. Trey Turner puts one in the bullpen. The Nationals' first home run of 2021 ties the game at four. And listen to this crowd. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.